Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Wednesday, November 6th, the morning after the Vancouver Canucks fall in overtime to the St. Louis Blues by a 2-1 score. A very interesting game because uh, you'd think that people would be very upset by the way this one was lost on an utterly bizarre OT winner where... All three Canucks get caught way in deep in the St. Louis zone. Uh, Tyler Myers just blows a tire and wipes out both of his teammates. It was really actually a comedy of errors. If you were not, you know, a diehard fan living and dying on every moment uh, that this team is playing games and just heartbroken by the fact that they lost, if you step back to appreciate the big picture, that was... Some of the greatest slapstick comedy that we will probably get to enjoy all season long in the entire NHL. If that if it didn't happen to the Canucks, if that was not the reason why that Vancouver lost uh, by you know the narrowest of margins to a team that uh, you know a matchup that we had looked forward to quite a bit as a game that would tell us a lot about where this team is at this season. If it was any other team in any other situation, we would be yucking it up for days about the way that one ended. And you know what? When the game went the way that it did, I think you do need to be able to step back and just laugh at the at the way this one ended and and uh, you know, take it uh, and and move on because I know that on the last episode of this show, I went deep on the idea that, you know, Hold on, pump the brakes. Let's not celebrate these guys as world beaters just yet because they dummied uh, a bunch of teams on this California road trip, a bunch of bad teams in California at this point. Yes, they are beating up on bad teams exactly as they should, but that doesn't make them world beaters just yet. Let's you know, hold off perhaps on declaring that they're for real. Let's hold off on declaring that this team is a playoff team. Having said all that, on the last episode, coming off of a game that the Canucks didn't even win, I am ready to walk back all of that and and firmly say, this team is for real. And maybe they won't be down the stretch, but the way they played in this game, and I understand that they lost it. Yes, that's true. But they dominated a lot of this game. They were the better team by far on the night against the St. Louis Blues, and they showed battle level. You know, I hate to use these terms that are, uh, you know, coaches, cliches and all that, compete and on all these things that get thrown out uh, during post-game press conferences. I hate to use these words. But, but when you try to pinpoint the difference in what is going right with this Canucks team at the moment versus what has gone wrong in years previous, I don't know what else to call it. This was a game that in years prior and, and in other, you know, other opponents would not have done what Vancouver did to the St. Louis Blues last night because St. Louis is a team that has somehow gotten even better at the moment uh, in the absence of Vladimir Tarasenko. It's an injury that served as a wake-up call to that team to buy in to Craig Berube's system again the way that they did to such great success in the back half of last season into the playoffs on their way to a Stanley Cup. This is something that I talked about with Ryan Lambert from uh, Yahoo Sports on the Locked on NHL main show a couple weeks back about, you know, I, I've I've mentioned this before, probably on this program as well. I am not somebody who is bought into the belief that the St. Louis Blues are world beaters. When I think about the team that hoisted the Stanley Cup last year, 
Uh, I think about the team that the Canucks dummied so badly uh, that they fought each other in practice the next day. St. Louis was a very bad team in the back half, or the front half, I should say, of last season. And that's the team that I think of when I picture them. So it's hard for me to reconcile that uh, mental image with what they went on to do in the latter half of the season. They were able to do it because they installed a new coach and they got that fresh coach shine. You know, it happens a lot when you fire a coach and put in a new guy that the team takes a shine to. Uh, you get a big turnaround in results. It's something that, of course, like the Pittsburgh Penguins rode to their cup, uh, the first one under Dan Bilesma, I should say. It's it's something that you see quite often, that, that teams will get this big boost of life, but it might not be what they are long term. Uh it looks like the St. Louis Blues of last year in the back half of the year are what they are again because they do not have their number one shiny goal scorer. They have bought in on playing an extremely defensive system once again. They are a team that smothers you to death. They are a team that literally bores you to death. There is not a lot of difference between the game that the St. Louis Blues played last night and uh, the game that uh, you know the Minnesota Wild used to play that would drive people insane uh, right up and down the Western Conference, but especially right here in this market, some you know 15 years ago now. Okay, they didn't trap to the same extent that say Jacques Lemaire might have, but that's the kind of game that they want to play. Is just a low event sort of boring hockey game that that. You, you, they're just going to wear you down to the point that you lose interest. That was a game that as a viewer last night, it might have been easy to lose interest through the first 40 minutes because there wasn't a ton of excitement in that contest until the third period where you know the crowd really got going once Brandon Sutter got off to the races on a shorthanded break. And I know I went in on Brandon Sutter yesterday, but uh, more on that in just a second. That really sparked the crowd, which seemed to in turn really spark the team. And... You know that that is the the key. That is that is what has me believing right now because there are previous versions of this team where just last year they would have fizzled out. They would have gotten disinterested and yet the Canucks seemed to get mad in this game the longer that it went on. And yes, that's because as Travis Green said, sure, last night's action was quote-unquote, big boy hockey. Not only did they try to smother you out of the game, they try to hit you out of it as well. The Blues play a, a punishing style, even if their lineup up and down isn't necessarily full of bruisers. And instead of wilting, instead of succumbing to that pressure, which we have seen so many times before from this team over the last several years, you know, as much as uh, people have talked about the lack of bite, the lack of pushback on this team, the lack of snarl, perhaps, in recent years, I think they perhaps pursued it over-aggressively in the offseason last year, spending far too much money on a bunch of you know bottom six, fourth-line players. Yes, Tim Schaller and Jay Beagle are playing well this season, but that was still maybe a bit excessive in pursuit of one element of your team. That's neither here nor there. That, that has been a criticism of this team. That criticism, in fact, has come from Coach Travis Green himself. That is the way he views his roster, or at least had in previous seasons. Yesterday, last night, against the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Vancouver Canucks were able to play that style of big boy hockey and push them right back. We've seen it over the course of the last week. In fact, that was one of the most promising things about the California road trip. Not the scores, not the fact that they were able to put pucks past, you know, 
outright bad teams, whether that's the LA Kings or the San Jose Sharks. The San Jose Sharks, yes, believe it or not, even with two of the best defensemen on the planet, are not playing well at all this year. And at the moment, I cannot believe that I'm saying this. I really cannot believe that I'm saying this as someone who went on the radio before free agency opened last summer and said, the move is to push all in on Eric Carlson. He's a guy who's really going to help your team. He's a guy who's going to kickstart your power play. What has been the weakness of this team? Power play. You need an Eric Carlson. You can still use one in addition to a Quinn Hughes. That's the move. That's what I was saying prior to July 1. Right now, however, the move that I did not want the team to make, Tyler Myers. Yes, Tyler Myers looks like a better free agency signing than Eric Carlson. I cannot believe that that's the truth, but even in spite of last night's overtime gaffe, that is still true right now. So yes, they filled the net, but they played big boy hockey. That LA Kings game last Wednesday in particular, Elias Pettersson is throwing his weight around. He is a tall man. He doesn't have a ton of meat on his bones, yet he probably will fill out as the years go on here as he gets into his uh, early to mid-20s. He's already much bigger than he was last season, in fact. As he becomes a man, he is going to become a dominant threat in this league, even more of a dominant scoring threat than he already is right now. But we're seeing that snarl. The the fact that, yes, like last season, Pedersen is being pushed around, but he's pushing right back. And we saw it from other elements of the team as well, you know? Jake Vertanen, never afraid to mix things up. JT Miller has been a revelation on that front because he doesn't seem all that big, at least not relative to some of the real big boys in the NHL, but he plays that style. He bowled over Ryan O'Reilly yesterday late in the game. An incredible hit that really got the crowd fired up as the game went into overtime. This team did not give up. They did not fold like a cheap table, which we have seen so many times before. They kept pressing. They kept pressing. They kept pressing. They didn't let their lack of scoring frustrate them to the point that they gave up. They just kept trying and trusted the process and figured if we keep doing this, something good is going to happen, and something finally did A point shot from Quinn Hughes with just over three and a half minutes remaining in regulation to tie things up at 1-1 and force overtime. And just the very fact that they were able to do that has me believing, you know what, maybe this team is for real, especially against the defending Stanley Cup champions who have only gotten better and improved their play since the last time these two teams met a couple weeks back in St. Louis. Of course, the Canucks were not able to treat themselves to an extra point in overtime last night, but you can still treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, my listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. And of course, it would be Hughes who scored, wouldn't it? Uh, it's only perfectly poetic that that would be the case on the night that he returns to the lineup, having uh, missed the last couple. I guess he left halfway through uh, two games ago and then missed Saturday night in San Jose. But still, uh, on his return to the lineup, the impact was felt. He got his second career NHL goal. It came very, very late to force overtime. And he... he... <sighs> 
it, it was good to have him back, even on a night where the power play went over. They were over four on the man advantage last night, were the Canucks, and they didn't even look particularly good on the man advantage either. But they still somehow looked better than they did on Saturday night in San Jose, where you know when you when you remove Quinn Hughes from this lineup, I know we have only had him for uh, a, a handful of games. He's probably played. I mean, with the injury plus last season, I would wager about 18 games in the NHL so far in his career. I think that's right. I'm not going to look it up. It's beside the point. Just the you know fact that I'm in the ballpark is good enough for me. 18 games on his career, let's say. We are so young into having this guy be a fixture of this team. And yet, despite the fact that he was only added to the first unit power play during the road trip that took the Canucks through New York a couple weeks back, when you take him off of that first unit power play, it's like trying to watch standard definition television again, having you know been treated to a, a not a, you know I mean currently a decade of HDTV. But even if you'd just seen HDTV once or twice, you know back when it debuted some 12, 13, 14 years ago, however long ago it was that the technology made that jump. That is the level of difference that Quinn Hughes brings to this team on the man advantage. He is HD. Alex Edler is standard deaf. When you remove Quinn Hughes from the equation, uh, as we had to unfortunately watch on Friday and Saturday night in Anaheim and San Jose, the lack of movement on that power play is stark. It is crazy to see how little they cycle through the zone. And this is, you know, it's not like this is a new thing that Quinn Hughes has invented, puck movement and the fact that when one guy moves, another moves to take his place and the entire uh, power play is doing this rotational movement to kind of open up space. This is what the Canucks power play used to be like during the peak years of the Sedins. We've seen power play movement like this before. We have never, however, seen a power play quarterback like this before because Hughes makes this happen almost single-handedly. It's insane. The amount uh, of change that he brings to a very staid, boring power play unit without him. All of those guys up front, all of the scoring talent on this team, they are still out there on the man advantage. They are still working that number one power play unit. But when you take Quinn Hughes off of it, wow, does that thing lose its power. It is, uh, you know, it's just a play at that point. There is no juice when Quinn Hughes is not working the point uh, on the man advantage. And, you know, not a great night for the power play, as I mentioned. Uh, I, JT Miller was very down on that fact after the game, talking about that was the difference in the contest, the fact that they weren't able to generate anything, they weren't even able to carry momentum out of their power plays. And yes, maybe that's troubling, but this is a power play that had certainly been trending in the right direction, even if, as I bemoaned yesterday at length, they were simply doing it by beating up on bad teams. You still liked what you were seeing, and you have to think that the things that they've been doing, even against bad teams on the man advantage, are things that can translate against good teams. Their power play has been successful for them of late, and I'm not particularly worried about it after one cold night. What I am worried about, however, and I hate to sound like a broken record on this one, is ice time because once again, Tyler Myers and Alex Edler are still playing way 
too much. Alex Edler, in particular, played close to 24 minutes in last night's action. He had 2.12 in power play time, but 23.56 is his total time on ice at the end of the night. Myers not far behind with 23.07. And it is not a surprise to me necessarily that Alex Edler is currently leading the league in penalties taken. He took a good number of them last night in the game against St. Louis. I believe took three minor penalties over the course of the evening. Yes, that is correct. Finished the evening with six minutes in penalties, and that's a sign of desperation. That's a sign of a guy who is perhaps exasperated a little bit. Uh, Obviously, yes, him and Myers are both going up against the top lines night in and night out. I understand that. But you have a quality third pairing right now in Jordy Ben and Troy Stetcher that I have said this so many times at this point, but it's still true, can stand to play more. These guys are very good. They are one of perhaps the best third pairings in the entire NHL. Two guys who could both play on second units or second pairings rather on pretty much every NHL team. And that's your third pair. There is no reason for you to be overplaying and and exasperating Alex Edler this early in the season while Troy Stetcher is playing less than 14 minutes this evening has been less than 12 minutes on some nights of late. And I just, I'm not even criticizing Alex Edler as a player. I've said this so many times on the show already early in the season, and I hate to come back to it again and again and again, but it is not a sprint. It is a marathon, and you are going to burn out Alex Edler if you continue to play him to this degree, even if the Edler Myers pairing, I do agree has been very good to this point. Now, that is not the big concern, however, in terms of ice time distribution. When you look at uh, the minutes played last night, there is one number in particular that jumps out big time, and that's Louis Erickson with 6 minutes and 24 seconds of ice in the entire game. Louis got a... Uh, I don't know if it's a Bronx cheer. I honestly don't know how to describe it. I, maybe it's just that the expectations of what we want and what we expect to see and and what we think he can provide have dropped to such a level that they are so low at this point that Louis Erickson gets a massive ovation from the crowd at Rogers Arena simply for beating out an icing call, but that is what happened last night. He got a rousing ovation, a big cheer from the faithful For beating and icing. How low can we go with this guy? And if that's the case, and if Travis Green is so disinclined to play him that he doesn't even crack seven minutes in ice over the course of the entire contest, just scratch him, get him out of the lineup, and put Sven Berchi in there. You know, uh, I know that they don't want to put Sven Berchi in a bottom six role. That's kind of the reason why he got sent down to Utica in the first place is that they didn't see a role for him in the top six of this team, and they didn't trust him to be a third-line winger. What did we talk about yesterday? Brandon Sutter at length. I guess that was two days ago now. Brandon's, well, a day and a half. Brandon Sutter at length, and the fact that the the reason that he is seeing success right now is because he is basically being used as a fourth-line centerman 
and a fourth-line center that is not being asked to do heavy lifting defensively, a fourth line that can go out there and put up some offensive numbers because they're seeing easy matchups and they all have decent offensive instincts. If that's what you're icing in your bottom six at the moment, you absolutely can find a role for Sven Berchi in this team, on this roster, in this lineup, out there on the ice on a nightly basis, and maybe it comes at the expense of an Adam Gaudet who didn't play a whole heck of a lot last night either. 12.52 the total ice for Gaudet on the night, including two minutes and 40 seconds of power play time. Another reason to get Sven Berchi into the lineup is so that those two minutes and 40 seconds that Gaudet played on the man advantage can mean something. We know that Berchi and Gaudet have chemistry. If you want a fourth-line winger to play down the lineup, Adam Gaudet can be that guy. He didn't necessarily have the greatest game last night, and that's going to happen. He's not going to be consistently good night after night when he is the age that he is. But if you want some punch from that second-unit power play, which right now is giving you absolutely nothing, the play is not Brandon Sutter, who got 234 of power play ice in last night's action. It is to slide a guy like Sven Berchi in the lineup so that you have depth scoring available to you and you can, you know, at least make something of the ice time that the first unit is not out there because right now it is dire straits when that second line unit or second unit comes over the boards. And it's not just because Alex Edler is the power play quarterback. And like I mentioned, you don't see a lot of movement on the power play when he's manning the point. That's not the only reason. It's that, like, like I said yesterday, Brandon Sutter just does not have a lot of offensive pop, and we saw it last night. Yes, did his deke to get into the uh, offensive zone and, and cut in on net against Jordan Bennington? Did that fire up the crowd? Yes, it did. Sammy Blay could not, uh, you know, make the move to keep up with him. He embarrassed Blay and danced around him on his way towards Bennington. But what did he do when he got there? He took a very weak wrist shot that slid along the ice, and then he fired his rebound opportunity wide of the goal. Pretty much any other Canuck in that situation could have scored a goal. This is something that I talked about at length on yesterday's show. The idea that Brandon Sutter creates these chances, or at least finds himself in these positions to get these opportunities, but he doesn't have the instincts to do anything with them. If you put a guy like Sven Berchi in those roles, if you put a guy like Sven Berchi in the bumper position on that second unit power play, it couldn't possibly be any worse than it currently is. And in fact, when I was criticizing the play of Brandon Sutter yesterday, I was uh, sent a a little a little gift, I guess, a little nugget of information. I was sent a heat chart uh, made by Micah Blake McCurdy that showed what Brandon Sutter is doing at the moment without Josh Levo. And that's only 65 minutes that they can compare to with Josh Levo at the moment. It does not look good. The big difference for Brandon Sutter this season is that his defensive game is nowhere near what it had been in years previous, and the only thing propping him up on offense right now is the fact that he is consistently playing with a guy like Josh Levo, 
not just like Josh Levo. He's playing with Josh Levo, and Josh Levo is a board battle machine this season. He does not lose any battles. He comes up with loose pucks all the time. He's able to feed his line mates and make things happen with whoever he's playing with. And if he was playing with someone other than Brandon Sutter, I would think things would be going even better for that line than they currently are. One more positive before I wrap today's episode, and I know this is a a very minor positive. In fact, it it might be exactly like what I referenced with Louis Erickson a little while ago, the fact that the expectations, the bar is set so low. Uh, But when you look at the ice time, one thing that jumps out at me uh, in terms of how the bench was used and, and, and how minutes were allocated We've seen in the past, in fact, throughout this season, that Travis Green has very much shortened his bench in games like last night where the team is trailing by one and they need to come up with offense. Guys like, for example, Louis Erickson stopped seeing the ice in the third period. And in fact, we saw it on Friday night in Anaheim where uh, Jake Vertanen only got one shift in the entirety of the third period on Friday against the Ducks. That was not the case for Jake in last night's action against St. Louis. He only played his typical 13.07 on the evening, but that was still more th- close to three minutes more than Tim Schaller played. That was a significant amount more than Louis Erickson played. Jake Vertanen is being trusted a little bit by this coaching staff. And I know I am constantly being told by the people who look at the underlying data that he is having bad effects, bad impacts on uh, his line's ability to generate shots on every line that he's placed on, but he keeps passing the eye test, and and that has to mean something for a guy like Vertanen who had previously not even been doing that. He has been noticeable for a lot of the right reasons, more often than not this season, consistently, night after night, and consistency has always been an issue for him. He didn't score last night, but he did ring one off the post. He did generate some good chances. He was riding shotgun, in fact, with Elias Pettersson for a couple couple shifts out there. He has looked very good, and hey, you know, I dumped on Brandon Sutter yesterday. I want to be positive about something. I like what I'm seeing from Jake Vertanen. I liked what I saw from him last night. I liked what I've seen from him for the most part over the course of this entire year. And good on him. There's a lot of people who want Jake to succeed. I know we've you know, all dumped on the pick and the fact that he is not Nikolai Ehlers and he's not William Nylander and he's never going to be, but he can still be a useful player and he's looked like a useful player more often than not so far this season. That's it for today's show. Sorry I did not have a game day preview for you yesterday for last night's action against St. Louis. I know I said I was going to do that. We got caught up uh, dealing with some car issues in the morning through the afternoon because uh, my car got smashed into and and broken into and a bunch of stuff was stolen from me last week, which is uh, part of the confluence of nightmare events that all seemed to uh, go down on Halloween for me last week, which is why you didn't hear very much from me late last week. Look, Mercury was in retrograde. Need I say more? <laughs> I will be back, however, tomorrow to tee up uh, the road game against the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes, a very, very quick home stint for the Canucks. Just the one game against St. Louis before they head out back on the road. And this is a very difficult month for them on the road in terms of opponents. It's uh, Going to get much harder after Chicago, I will say that at the very least. Chicago, a bad team. Uh, I think you probably know that, but uh, I'll tell you more about them tomorrow. And that's probably not going to fill up the entire episode either, so I think I will bust out the old mailbag 
edition of the program for tomorrow as well. If you have any questions that you want answered by yours truly, you can find me over on Twitter at LockedOnCanucks or my personal Twitter at Justin Morris with one R and one S. And of course, as I told you so many times last week and the week before, if you want to do me a solid, if you enjoy this show and want to give back to it in any way, I would strongly encourage you to head on over to the iTunes store and throw me a a rating or a review, whether it's the iTunes store or wherever you happen to get the show. I guess it's called Apple Podcasts now. I'm so conditioned to say an iTunes store. Uh, That's neither here nor there. Uh, Wherever you get the show, please rate and review it. It uh, does the show a huge favor, and it does me a huge favor as well, and uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you listening, and I will talk to you again tomorrow before the Canucks take on the Chicago Blackhawks on the road on Thursday night. Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.